Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everyone. I'm Sean Callahan. And hey, everybody. I'm Mark Shank. And Sean, I saw a video this morning that you shared on Twitter uh, uh, promoting the storifying events. Uh, it's a fantastic video. So tell us what's going on with that. Yeah, look, it's, I'm really excited about this. The, I've got a collaboration happening between Chris Nolan uh, in Los Angeles. He's an Emmy Award-winning uh, film director over there. And uh, Doug Keeley, who is in Canada, like MC extraordinaire, you know, in terms of big events. And we're doing this uh, work together on how do you translate face-to-face um, -face events into virtual events which is much more than just, you know, doing a Zoom uh, experience, right? Something that has story imbued throughout the whole thing, uh, something that really keeps people on the edge of the seat, makes, makes the, the event organisers thinking of themselves more of a TV producer than a theatre producer, right? So explain that difference. Well, you know, the... The thing that I think explains it nicely is that at the beginning of this year, I was in London with Georgia, right, my daughter, and we went and saw Hamilton at the Princess Theatre. Oh, when did it when did it start in London? I thought no, it was. I don't still... know. I don't know when it started in London, but we were there in February, just before the whole big shutdown, right? And so there we were in the audience, you know, shoulder to shoulder. Everyone was excited. People in front of me wanted to take photos, and and then came the big performance. And of course, you see that performance from one angle and that is the place where I'm sitting. It was amazing. We we had a great time. But then just a couple of months later, Disney come out on their Disney Plus streaming service with a film production of Hamilton. Now they didn't just stick a camera in an audience and press go and present that. They had lots of camera angles, they were in close, they were out, they were showing it, they made it for TV. Right? They took a theatrical production and made it for TV. And that's what we want to do with um, online you know, conferences and uh, you know, summits and you know, sales gatherings and things like that, where we're sort of creating something that's really interesting and engaging, where everyone's sharing stories, everyone has got an overarching story, right? So the whole thing is knitted together in a way. And anyway, we're going to do a a free webinar on the 29th, that's Pacific Standard Time, so that's US. Um, but, you know, you'll, if you can sort of have a look at our LinkedIn and, and do various social medias, you'll sort of, you'll find the link. In fact, we'll put the link to that event in the show notes of this uh, podcast and people will be able to click through and sign up. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It'd be very interesting. Oh, I can't wait. And, of course, you know, Chris and Chris Nolan and Doug Keeley are uh, uh, fascinating guys. Yes, yes, it's uh, been great working with them. It's just been a blast. So, um, yeah, can't wait to get that done. All right, so we should get into the story, and uh, you've got one for us this week. Yeah, look, this one came about, actually, it's been, I don't know, in the back of my mind for some time. Um, I, probably in the early 2000s, ended up in Florence uh, for a conference, and I ended up three days early. I don't know how. <laughs> Your legendary time management skills. Well, time management skills are not the best. <laughs> My wife still doesn't believe that I've made a mistake. She thought this is some sort of, um, you know, wait. Anyway, it was wonderful. I just, I got there and I realised, okay, well, what am I going to do with my three days? I decided to study and 
spend as much time as I could with the, uh, the big Duomo, you know, the, the Florence Cathedral, right, right in the middle of town. And that's when I started to learn about Brunelleschi and, and how he really just transformed a whole industry in his totally new way of looking at things. So the story is really from, uh, from that experience. So if you like, it all starts in uh, 1418. Right? So we're talking a few years ago. Uh, at that point, the cathedral had been undergoing construction for 100 years. Right, so it takes some time to build these suckers, and by that stage, they still haven't put on the dome, and that was the sticking point. They realized the, the designers of the cathedral had come up with a dome that was so big, you know, it was, and to this day, it's the largest dome in the world of this type of construction. Um, it was so big 143 uh, feet in diameter, and they couldn't work out how to build the dome on top of it, so. On that date in, in 1418, they, they set out a competition um, and a whole bunch of people from all around Europe you know, put in their submissions. Essentially, they came to Florence and built models in the courtyard of what they could do and how they would do it. And one of the submissions was from a goldsmith and a clockmaker uh, called Filippo Brunelleschi. And Filippo... Uh, was 41. He'd never built a cathedral. He'd never built anything larger than, you know, the things that he'd, he would normally do in a, a goldsmith's workshop. Or a, he might have built a big clock. Yeah. Big, a big clock. clock. That, might have been, that might have been one of their standout pieces, for example. And his design, you know, because he's come from a totally different perspective, was radically different, right? And primarily was that, most people, the way they would think about building a dome is have some sort of construct, you know, some scaffolding in the middle of the, the dome to hold up the ceiling. Well, he did away with that. He didn't have any of that. And they're all going, what's going on here? They couldn't work out how he was going to build this thing. And on the day that they were sort of getting right down to the last few, he'd still managed to keep himself in, you know, in the... In the um, sort of the phases of people being let go. And so he's in the he last... Made, he made the, he'd been shortlisted. He's, yeah, he'd been shortlisted. He made the last cut. And he... But he, they wanted him to reveal how he was going to do it in detail. But he was resistant to this because he was really worried that the other competitors would just steal his idea and, and then he would not have nothing, right? And he kind of needed this. He needed to get this... Yeah, under his belt. And so he challenged all the competitors and the, the judges, essentially. He sort of said, look, i tell you what, if my competitors can take an egg and balance it on its, you know, on the pointy end on a flat piece of marble, they should win the competition. It's, it, you know, that, that's, to him, that was great innovation. Um, so anyway, they all tried and failed. And it got to him and he took the egg and he turned it up on the pointy end and he just crunched the end into the marble and let go. And there it was standing, you know, nicely uh, without falling over. And, you know, then it was, just, it was so, after that, he just sort of said, look, before I did this, you didn't know what the answer was. And it's just like my plan. As soon as you see my plan, you'll all say, oh, we can do that. 
Oh, that's obvious. That's obvious, right? But up until that point, you have no idea how I'm going to do this. That's the innovation. Well, he ended up spending 28 years of his life uh, building that dome. Um, and and in the, in and during that time, yeah, re, recreated, if you like, or sort of created a whole bunch of new techniques, new scaffolding techniques, new crane techniques. The one that really amazed me is that in that period of time, he was so particular about safety, right? So what he did was he created a platform up in the dome where it had all the things the workers needed for their lunches and and so they didn't have to climb down during the day for the midday break because that was a big Italian thing, probably still is today, right? Um, and in that 28 years, only one death, which, you know, you think about the 1400s, it wouldn't have been the best construction uh, uh, environments to, to work in, right? So, Well, if only, if only we could achieve that level of safety today. Exactly, exactly. So anyway, that's, that's my story. Um, it, I came across the story actually in a in a book called Brunelleschi's Dome by a guy called Ross King. Very worthwhile read. And by the way, if you like that kind of thing. <laughs> oh no no no! This is a cracker. This is a I love it. Um, but it must be said though that this egg anecdote is likely to be. Um, apocryphal let's put it that way uh, it's written up in the original sort of biographies of Brunelleschi you know more or less contingent with you know at a similar time that he was alive but uh, Ross King doesn't believe it probably went down that way but anyway no evidence to the contrary I say well what they say about ruining a good story with uh, with the truth <laughs> um Right. What do you reckon, Mark? Now, uh, that's the long version of the story. I mean, I don't think you would probably get away to be able to tell that whole version. You'd probably just slim it down to the anecdote around the egg, right? Well, again, it depends on the context and the purpose, but uh, yeah. I think in most business applications, yeah, it would just be a pretty short thing, difficult problem, uh, innovative solution that's in hindsight obvious. Yes. Egg. Yeah, that's the, they're the elements. the competition. Yeah, mm. yeah most definitely. Mind you, if you're going to give a big presentation and you held the audience on, you know, there and you're palming your hands on a stage, you could tell that larger story. And I think it's useful having a connection between my personal experience and the cathedral. Definitely adds credibility. Right. Because, um, it, you know, just, yeah, there's lots of, lots of different connections you can make there. Yeah. It gives a lot of insight into your personality, Sean. <laughs> Yeah, hey, the word the word geek is running. I'm, yeah, running through your mind, is it? Yeah, yeah. I oh, know. So many people have said that. Um, okay, so we should talk about what do we like? We liked, yeah, well, we liked about the story. Yeah. Well, I, I, I liked I, I liked the reveal, the the egg, you know, and bashing the egg on the on the uh, the, the marble. I thought that was that was really good, and of course, uh, as you know, Sean. Uh, when she told me that story, I, I ran downstairs and grabbed a raw egg because I wanted to test it out. To see whether it can be done? Yep. yep. Got a little video and it totally works. Right. You can't do it, obviously, <laughs> standing the egg on its, on its pointy end uh, 
but you crack it down and it stands there beautifully. Like so, a little soldier. And we've got a little video of me doing that. So we'll add that into the show notes so you can yeah, see for yourself. yourself. Yep, that's good. That's credibility. Um, I like the fact that it's it's the basic element of the stories, all the basic things, you know, flat marble, egg. You know, it's like anyone can get hold of these sort of things and recreate this experiment yourself, right? I can imagine um, someone actually getting a group of people to do this in, in, in making their point. Yep. So instead of just telling the story, you get people to live out the story. And that's going to have an even bigger impact on people. Oh, yeah, exactly. You, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's, that's a good one. Uh, another thing I like is that this was 1418, was mm -hmm. that? Yeah. And that's, that is a long time ago. Uh, was that 602 years? Uh, so. Yeah, when you put I it that way, that's, a, that's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah, it still looks good, though. Still looks good, that dome. Yes, that's right. It's still standing and still... I wonder how many things that we built in 2020 will still be standing in really good nick in... 600 years' time? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so, so, so 1418, um, long time ago, and, and it's a repeating pattern. And I guess we'll talk about this when we talk about how to use this in a business context. But there's this repeating pattern that we see around things that are conventional wisdom and, and things that in hindsight are obvious, etc. And it's a really powerful illustration that this pattern just keeps repeating. And wow, you know, with the whole stuff going on with coronavirus, the pattern is playing out again and again. You know, we know what we know, and there's people who have got innovative ideas that are not being listened to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, of course, you know, it's interesting that... Uh, you know, Bruno Eschi was a, a clockmaker, right? Oh, those clockmakers, just like Harrison. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> longitude, uh, longitude. You know, yeah, coming at it from a totally different perspective, um, you know, innovative idea, not locked in by, you know, the standard approaches. So, yeah, yeah so I think that's their, their elements. I think there's another thing, I don't know, maybe I may be wrong about this, but I think a lot of people would have a picture in their head about that cathedral. What do you think? Do you think you know that cathedral? I'm, I, I kind of have a picture no, in my you, head. You, you can't help it. So I do not. I have been to, to Florence, but I, I even despite having been there, I don't have a picture of that in my head. Right. I, I do have a bunch. I do have a picture in my head of uh, the marble table and a bunch of people dressed in in the you know, period costume. Uh, is that right? Standing around with their with their eggs, <laughs> yeah, their eggs, yeah. and a competition going on, yeah. uh, the egg standing competition. Um, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I think they're the elements, aren't they? The, yeah. What would make this a better story? Oh, uh, the reveal. I like the reveal, but you could have even played that reveal a little bit more. The, it kind of, I don't know, you, you could have paused a little bit more around the reveal. Yeah, gotcha. Built it up and then. Bang. Hold it. Yeah. yeah, and then uh, so, which is one of the things that is really cool about that story is that little reveal that you know you just break the egg. Right? Anyway, so uh, just just I don't know tweaking the way that was delivered. You know, the funny thing is that, um, uh, like just just before we started this podcast, um, our colleague Mike Adams gave me a call, and 
I was able to tell the story there. And I mean, Mike's, you know, he's a really savvy guy. And I just assumed he would probably have heard that story. But as I was telling it, I was going, oh, he hasn't heard it. And I got excited and I went, and and when I had the reveal, I almost heard over the phone that little intake of breath of, of, you know, sort of, oh, you know, I can almost almost hear that. But anyway, so I guess what I'm saying is it's one of those ones that's simpler and it works. Yeah. It also highlights that you need to know the important parts of the story and, and really be aware of those and make use of them because I feel that in the process of, you know, we, we did the little run through as practice and then you told the story and you were focused on, on the, 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 the bigger bit of the story and you kind of lost that, that key uh, part of the story, that, that, uh, that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. Kinda... Cause there's all these things swelling around my head about that experience. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and there's lots more I could tell. And oh, it's about it's about tell. what to leave out and, and as you say, you know what what to hone in on. Yeah, good point. Yeah. And that's I mean that's a good lesson. And to make that story even better, I mean it's as you say, if you're on stage and you've got a long time, use the long version. But there's a very compressed version that you can use where you only have a few elements, and the breaking of the egg is one of the key elements. So yeah. Yeah, that would make it much, yeah, much yeah. easier. Oh, okay. Nice, nice one. Um, great. Now, business how models. Do we, how, how do we, we tell it? this? Well, how do we use it? Right. You know, I, I think one of the ways I would use it is if I was about to reveal, let's say, an innovation that I had the feeling that when people see it, they'd sort of go, oh, yeah, well, that's, that's obvious right you, you'd want to get them you'd want them to hear that so that they appreciate that that phase shift between have no idea how to solve the problem to oh my god that's how we solve the problem it's so simple yeah and and as soon as everyone knows it everyone knows it yeah 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 and in, in fact we I, I don't know i'm just to give an example uh and the one's not coming to mind of a time when something was revealed like that and just go, yeah, it's obvious. And everyone, it just became, it goes from one conventional wisdom to a completely next level conventional wisdom. Uh, as soon as you the, see it. As soon as you see it. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. Why don't, we, why don't we do this all the time? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the other, the other areas around um, helping people understand that, that concept of, protecting that intellectual property that you have, right? That, you know, if you just open the kimono and sort of go, okay, here it all is, as soon as it's out, it's lost. Now, as soon as I say that, I'm reminded of Max Boiseau's iSpace. I know this sounds like an esoteric uh, reference here, but Max Boiseau was an economist, sort of management thinker as well, UK-based, and he had a really interesting take he sort of, on, on innovation. He sort of said that if your product doesn't change, right, like it's, it's like you're a flute maker and you, the way you make flutes is exactly the same, um, well, then you want to protect your intellectual property. You want to lock it down and, and do everything you can to protect it. Uh, a bit like I think Bruno Leschi, he's sort of in that space, right? Whereas if 
your world is changing rapidly, right? And there's just new things happening all the time. It's actually a better strategy to share what you've got because what you do is you then get that reciprocity element of people sharing things with you and then you just keep moving forward and keeping ahead of the pack. Um, it's kind of, a bit kind of the strategy we've taken from the beginning of Anecdote is we, we, we like to share stuff because we know that we learn stuff as well. So anyway, I yeah. think there's, there's something there. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, the idea of, of uh, with innovation using this story and for me an application is just to give p people confidence that there's no such thing as a, as as an obvious or a dumb idea just you know tell this thing and you know Bruno Lesh knew that as soon as everyone saw it blah 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 but don't let don't let that prevent you from from sharing something in this session that's really useful or sorry that that uh, you might think is obvious but other people might not be aware of at all yeah so just feel free to you know, speak up just yeah, kind like of that. set the scene yep um, challenge, challenging the conventional wisdom is another one. Yeah, right, right. right. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. I mentioned this, you know, like uh, as you said in the as we were preparing, uh, making domes. Yep, we know how this is done, and we know the type of people that do it. That's right. But of course, Bruno Leschi wasn't the type of person. He was a goldsmith and a clockmaker, and he was he did it in a way that no one ever thought of before. So, uh, just think if he hadn't won that competition then a whole bunch of, of invasions would have been, well, I guess they would have been delayed. Perhaps, uh, yeah. Yeah, you never know with these things. Um, terrific. Right. What else? What else do we need to cover? Anything else on business points? Well, there's something about uh, retrospective coherence, you know, 2020 hindsight, where right. you look back and everyone goes, oh, yeah, that was obvious. Uh, but bef But they don't remember the moment when they didn't know it. Right, which I guess is the, the point you were making earlier. And I mean, I remember the Canberra bushfires in 2003, uh, the fire, a lightning strike in the Brindabella Mountains about 30 kilometres from Canberra. Fires burned for two weeks in a you know, mountainous, remote, inaccessible mountainous region. They couldn't get in and fight it, so they just sort of, you know, let it do its thing. And uh, I went and played golf on a Saturday morning and, you know, the, the layer of, of smoke uh, had kind of got a bit thicker that morning. I went home, uh, you know, around lunchtime, and about an hour later, my wife said, "Listen to the radio," and they were saying, uh, "Use all the water you need to save your houses." It's like what? And go outside, and the world is on fire. And in the space of just a few hours, the fires had the wind had changed. The fires had raced across the the, the this landscape, and Canberra was burned. Uh, 500 houses, uh, four lives lost. and Anyway, but after after the fires, a whole bunch of people on the media just going, well, it was completely obvious this was going to happen and this should have, this should have been done and this should have been done and this should have been done. And I just kept looking at them and going, where were you last week? Yeah, that's right. With your great predictions. <laughs> yeah, they're going, it's completely obvious that this was going to happen. This, you know, like people should be hung out to dry because it was so obvious and blah, blah, blah. But until the moment it happened, it totally was not obvious. Mm. Yep, yep. I think that's how complexity works, right? Uh, After it much. occurs, pretty much makes people make sense of it. Right, I think that's probably where we should wrap things up. Let's give it a rating. All right. Well, I'm going to give this an eight. I love that story. Oh, I'm going to try and I'm going to try and use that in the next yes. couple of days. Okay. 
That's good. Yeah, I'm going to give it uh, an eight and a half. Oh, will you? I'm, I like these half increments. You are getting into the halves. Yeah. I didn't even realize we had half scales. I know. I've added that just recently, I think. All right. It's an innovation. <laughs> it, has, it has reminded me to go and look at uh, Ross King's other books as well. So that's something I'm going to do. And I think he's, I've read another one around um, Michelangelo's uh, you know, Sistine Chapel. Uh, ceiling, which is was a great read, so that's a good one. See, you can see the the theme there, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, I think that could be good to check those out. Well, Mark, is this the end of our podcast for the day? Is there anything else that we need to um, share with everyone? No, I've got got nothing. Okay. Well, thanks everyone for listening. It's been great to be here with you, and um, yeah, we'll tune in next next week for a, another tremendous episode of How to Put Your Stories to Work. Bye for now. Anecdotally speaking, was engineered by Dave Stokes from author to audio.